Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of My First Season. You know, this is one of those times I am very, very happy to have a podcast. My guest today contacted me because of this podcast, and I will explain why. He was a GM in Playa Blanca in 1997 when I was land sports there. He said that meeting me and the rock climbing geo, Claude Gagno, kind of inspired him to become a geo himself. I only found out about this 25 years later when he contacted me because of listening to this podcast. His first season was in Club Medic Stapa in May of 1997 as an archer geo. Fun fact about my guest. I love this. He knew there was no weight room in Ixtapa, so he transported two 70-pound detachable dumbbells in his suitcase. Let me say that again. He came to the village with 70-pound dumbbells. I love it. As a fellow and former musclehead, you better believe we're going to talk about this. From my hometown of Montreal, please help me give a warm welcome to Mr. Rich Reitman. Hey, Rich, how are you today, sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Greg. It, it is such a pleasure to be here to talk about this amazing time of my life. Thanks for having me, Greg. And, you know, we are recording this on your birthday. It won't be your birthday when it airs, but, you know, however, happy birthday to you, sir, and for taking the time to do this on your birthday. Thank you very much, Greg. All right. I hope this is not like the worst present you get today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's 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 pretty pretty awesome, and, and the fact that I'm I'm the I am 52. I literally have had you know, and and I was there 26 years ago. I've had half my life since Club Med and half before. So it's kind of really cool to be doing this. All right. So would you take me back in time a bit, if you're ready to light this fire, to where were you living? Uh, what were you doing? Were you working, going to school, and uh, how did you find out about Club Med? The way I found out about Club Med is really I knew that the commercials, right? The commercials were in our face in in Montreal back back at that time, back in the nineties. I had graduated university. I'd gone to the University of Waterloo and done a degree in therapeutic recreation. When I graduated, the, the job market was pretty tough in ninety five and ninety six. But I kind of landed landed on a job in ninety ninety six with with teenagers, working with teenagers that they were having issues. You would know it, Greg. It's called a maison des jeunes. So. At that point of my life, I was a bit, I need something a bit different, but I didn't know what I needed different. But to backtrack a bit, in 1997, my, my mom had got me a present for my birthday to go to Club Med. So I was kind of excited. And this is Playa Blanca. This is where you and I intersect. So I ended up going and then I getting off this plane. I was this white, like, like you said, I was like a bit of a meathead, white, pale guy. And I go onto this, this resort. And all I see is the people, I noticed more of the people working there than the people I was actually traveling with. And they were tanned and they were lean and they all looked happy and fantastic and glowing. You being one of them, sir. And at the end of that trip, I got home and I, and I reflect and I went, man, would I ever love to do something like that? Because what I was doing was not really filling my bucket. It was great work and important work. But at the end of the day, the money wasn't great. I wasn't truly happy. And then at that point, I just kind of forgot about it. And the, the thought of Club Med just went away and I just went back to doing, you know, doing my, my regular work. At that point, there was an article in the paper I saw about a month after I got home. So this would have been probably in, in March of 97. And that article said, you know, looking for people to work for Club Med. And I went, and that's when it kind of jogged my memory of, of you know, meeting you and, and seeing that amazing, that amazing place. And so I basically, you know, I responded to that, to that ad. So that's what happened at that point. Okay. Let's going to back you up here. Okay. Sure. You're, so you're in Playa. Now this was your first time in a club med resort, correct? That is correct. Okay. Now, did you do all the sports there? You know what? It's funny. 
Not really. What what I did is I noticed what was there. I noticed that rink was there. Do you remember that that kind of ball hockey yes. rink? Yeah, that was <laughs> built, built by uh, Greg Schneider, American Chief of Village. That's right. And I remember hearing that in one of your podcasts. And and uh, so I, I played a bit of you know ball hockey on there, and I did a bit of archery. It wasn't really my thing. I played a lot of basketball because there was remember that that basketball court kind of right in between the, the yeah. you know where we live. Other than that, it was really on the beach because I remember it being a super small enclosed resort, so everything was really close. But those are the kind of three main things I did. And I know we threw a football around on the beach and stuff, but really. Uh, the funny thing is how how you and I met. I, can I talk a bit about that? Yeah, I yeah. Find that actually, it's actually fascinating that I am here today talking about this because the reason is a lot of it had to do with you. So when I dug through my photos years later, I noticed a picture next to you. And when I went onto Facebook and saw your podcast, I did the link that, wait a minute, I remember that that Greg guy. That's Greg. And I, and I had to dig out my old club med photos and dust them off. And sure enough, I remembered you because at the time when I was there, you know, I thought I was, you know, this hot thing, you know, whatever, walking around Mr. Meathead over here. But when I got home and I developed the photo of me next to you, Greg, I was like, man, I really need to work on myself better because <laughs> I just thought you looked fantastic. Lean, tan, blonde guy. I'm like, no, no, I, th this, this guy looks amazing. I want to look like him truthfully. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you were kind enough to send me this photo. So it, it's so odd seeing a photo like you've never seen of yourself from, you know, whatever, 25 years ago. So, yeah, so you did catch me on a very, very good day. Okay, so thank you. You also took a, you have a picture of my, uh, was my girlfriend at the time there, Marcella. So you you had a lot of photos of that team, you know, that from that Playa team, which, uh, you know, which we hadn't seen then ever. So thanks for 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 taking those, man. That was really kind of you. Oh, it, it, it was absolutely fascinating. The other, and the other person that kind of I saw there was, Claude, right? Yes, and, uh, you, you know well, who is also really in shape, lean guy like you. Oh yeah, he was ripped, ripped. He was hell. ripped. But you both were, right? So at the end of the day, it's it's so ironic. And it will, I mean, we'll fast. I won't fast forward too much. But I ended up actually working with Claude that season. Oh yeah, so we're, gonna, just, we're, it, gonna, we're gonna we're oh, gonna talk about the the fire yeah. sword thing because I have a fire sword story with Claude too, which I didn't tell you. I've been keeping. Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> I've been keeping to myself, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that you know you tried archery and playa didn't really like it, but. Here we go. You uh, you have you have your interview at the Sheridan Hotel in Montreal, correct? And uh, yeah. now I'm, I'm assuming you didn't ask them to do archery. You were probably happy to do anything, or was archery one of the things you requested? I'll be honest. I did not request archery. That was I'm I'm by nature basketball. I I played you know for Quebec, our province, back in the day. So really, not that you could do basketball at club med, but I was a basketball player and a tennis player and a competitive tennis player. So really, at the end of the day. Of course, I would have done anything, but I would have definitely preferred to do something I liked because, I mean, not to fast forward again too much, but I was not a great, I was a good archery teacher, not a great archer, put it that way. Well, at least you tried it. So you knew, like, there's a lot of people like me, like who, um, and, and inevitably we get sent to archery, but uh, at least I guess you knew what to do, right? Because you had tried it in Playa? Let's be, I'm not going to lie here. I, I didn't try it long enough to even think I knew. I was definitely not Robin Hood rich after Playa, that's for sure. No, no, okay. no. But I, <laughs> I I touched a bow and arrow, put it that way. That's about it. And I find it, I find it funny. I don't know if this crossed your mind because even though you're from Montreal, you currently live in Alberta, right? Correct. So I live in Sherwood Park, Alberta. Yes. You are an archery geo and you live in Sherwood Park. <laughs> Have you made this connection? Not until you just said it, sir. Okay. No, Sherwood no, but Forest. I liked it. 
Robin Hood. See where I'm going oh, with this? Okay. I do. I do. I can't I can't wait to tell you more about the archery. That gets funnier, okay. I assure you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Did you know, like when you left your interview, because I was confused as heck when I left mine, did you think you had the job? Did they tell you had the job or just to expect the call? How did they end that interview? You know, again, it's pretty it's pretty vague, right? It's pretty okay. back in, in my history. But I do remember feeling actually pretty good about it, Greg. And the reason is I, I have a bit of, okay, I speak French fluently, like like you do, because I'm from Montreal. You're kind of, you know, you got to do it. But I also speak a bit, spoke a bit of Spanish as well. By a bit, I mean a bit, truly. But enough to kind of, and the fact that I, I have a sporting background and a degree in therapeutic recreation and kind of, it kind of all geared to the fact that it, at the end of it, I felt relatively confident that I would get a call. And sure enough, two weeks, uh, two weeks later, they did call me to say I had the job. Quick question. But not archery. What position were you in basketball? Forward? Center? Oh, it's funny. Growing up, I played competitive basketball all around Montreal. And I was I was the tallest person growing up, right? Because I'm, I'm 6'2". And I reached 6'2 when I was like 12. So I was a center and power forward all my life until I got to play for our province. I had to go down to guard yes. <laughs> because yeah. I was the shortest. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I think the Americans have a hard time understanding it, like in, uh, in, in the States, like on a college team, you could have a, you could have a six, nine or six ten guard because they're, that's considered short, right? Like when you start getting to that level, but for us, like in Canada, I don't know, six, two seems like a giant, right? <laughs> it was. And this is, don't forget back in the, in the eighties, right? When I was, at, it's evolved to a whole, they're huge, these kids nowadays, yeah. but yeah. Okay. Now here's the part of your story I love. And I hope my friend, Tim, Tim, Tim from Columbus Isle 96 is listening to this. Okay. I'm going to tell you why I love your story about the dumbbells because Tim and I, when we would work out in 96, we were always in the gym, Hansel moving some serious weight around. And we would always name the villages we wouldn't go to only because they did not have a gym. It never occurred to Tim and I to do what you did and maybe no sane person would bring two 70 pound detachable dumbbells with them. So I have to know all about this. What was your thought process? Did How much did you pay for oh. to ship that extra weight? Like, tell me everything, please, because I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, no, this, 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 I can't believe looking back that I did this. I, I, it's, it boggles my mind that I would even have the foresight to do this. So I, I, I don't know how, I think I actually called the club ahead, if you can believe this, and went, do you guys have a gym? And they said no. At that point, I was pretty addicted to and Anyone who does weightlifting know that you, you, you are addicted. Like if you miss even a few days, you're like shaking, right? So I went, okay, Rich, how am I going to get these weights over there? Wait, um, did you say so, miss a few days? You know uh, what I mean? <laughs> uh, hey, I, I worked out with Hansel Moss for two and a half years. That's he never, he never let me miss like an hour. Okay, so yeah, okay, That's go on. That's a very good okay. point. No, no, I, I hear you. So at that point, I went, how am I going to do this? So uh, yeah, I went to to one of those stores and I bought, and the key is detachable. These aren't these Bowflex ones that you know are just one unit and you can turn the dials. This is detachable. So I ended up, I had a good suitcase, had is the key word because it wasn't by the end of this trip, but I, I fit them all in there. And if you can believe it, this would not happen today, didn't pay a dime extra for overweight. And I don't know what? how that's even, I know 140 pounds in one, in one suitcase. So yeah, I know. So I didn't pay overweight, but don't forget this is 97. And I'm, I'm wondering what the baggage handlers must've thought when they grabbed this thing. Well, like, I'm pretty sure they were frustrated because by the, by the other end of it, the handle was in a bit of trouble uh, when I got to Mexico. Uh, so I don't know how it, this happened, but I got the, the weights on the plane, off the plane, into Mexico, the whole deal. And when I got off, the poor cab driver, you know how they like to lift your bag into the back of the taxi? Yes. He almost broke his back, man. Well, yeah. I, I had to help <laughs> the poor guy. Rip the handle. I mean, so the handle was finished after after we got it into the into the cab. 
But I tell you, Greg, when I got those weights to Club Med, I was one of the most popular geos by the end of my, my stay there because the GMs found out I had weights and were asking me to use them. <laughs> so I had like almost a mini, a mini gym inside my room. I wonder, I wonder if people thought you were smuggling tungsten or something because no, oh. one, no one would think in their right mind that this guy is bringing 70 pound dumbbells. <laughs> No, I, and I wonder where they are now. You know, I always look back. Where they, I'm sure they're somewhere. I left them. I just left them to the club when I left, right? Because what, what else was I well, going to do? Yeah, well, here's something that there's someone smarter than you and I both, okay? Because when I became uh, when I was chief of sports, I went to Kushidazi. So there was a guy, my land sport guy, Jalil, was smarter than both of us because he's like, I'm not, I'm not bringing two 70-pound detachable dumbbells. I'm not an idiot. He actually went to maintenance. With, he found a, a, a pole and he actually poured concrete into like, you know, soup cans or these tomato cans. So he actually made weights there. Okay. That's and other it, was, level. it was pretty, it was pretty heavy because you, your warm up with the bar was 165 pounds. So you had to go in like, that like full, is full bore. So yeah, he's smarter than both of us combined. Okay. He just the, it's them. funny about that. I had to use as a, as a bench. It, it, that This is when I look back, there were no benches. How are you going to do chest press? I actually had to go. If you're, I don't know if you know Nuxtapa really well, but outside your rooms, there's like railings. They're, they're slightly, they're concrete railings. And they're, you know, maybe, I don't know, a couple feet wide. And I would lie on those things and do chest press. And if I went over in each direction, I would have fallen. Wait, so. wait, 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 wait. Back, back up. Railings, is this like a, a bridge or something? No, no, it's it's hard to explain, but they're just railings to go upstairs, um, and then they would flatten out at the top of the uh, at the top of the stairs, and I would kind of use, I would just lie on that, you know, and, and pray I would go the, over um, left or right. And the geo rooms or the GM rooms, like these railings, the geo, the geo rooms. Okay, so I know, would, like outside as you're going up and down. So you would perch yourself precariously with seventy. Okay. Is this yeah. true? Oh God! Why didn't you take a photo of that? Okay. I wait. You know, photos. What are those? I wish I had iPhone <laughs> back then. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so you get sent to archery. Um, do you recall who the uh, chief of sport was? I do actually. And I was, I'd be fascinated to know what happened to this guy. He was such well, a character. Well, His tell everyone. Godo. 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 Where was Godo, Godo from? Brazil. I remember Brazil. that. For, yeah. Okay. So if anyone knows where Godo from Brazil is, when you hear this episode, just write in the comments, you know, because, uh, you know, Rich would like to touch base, find out what happened. And, you know, he was a good chief of sports, right? He was, and the fact that you, you've been a chief of sports and you don't know him make me go, I wonder where this guy ended up. I th Yeah, I think I heard the name. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a chief of sport at that time, uh, but mm -hmm. I do recall the name. And uh, do you recall who your chief of village was? I do, I do. And I uh, his name was Tutun. Tutun, okay. Yeah. I guess from France? That is correct, yeah. Okay, Tutun. Now, do you recall arriving that, that first day and everything, that first week? Uh, or what do you remember about your first season? Like it was on. yesterday, like okay. it was yesterday. The arrival to me is just embedded in my brain. So I, I remember getting there and as a very pale, white, slightly chubbier at the time guy, I arrived to the hottest weather I have ever felt in my life. So this would have been May of 97 and I got off and the the humidity hit. And we're from Montreal, Greg. Humidity is, is our second nature. This was another level of humidity. You, you sweat doing nothing. So I remember that heat. I remember getting off the plane and, you know, getting settled in and then i'm like okay i'm by myself i don't know anybody i'm just gonna walk around you know with my chest you know chest out and say hey and i remember just meeting a couple people there one was i don't remember their names greg but one was a a chef and another one was uh you know this this nice girl and they just kind of greeted me and we just hung out and we just started talking and they made me feel kind of you know comfortable they were geos by the way and i started talking to them and everything just from there 
flew off. Like it just, cause one thing I'll tell you, Greg, and you know this well, is they chuck you into those crazy signs. They don't care if you've been there for two minutes or, or 14 years, you're doing them. Do you remember that moment when you got uh, there the first time? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind enough. I had someone help me uh, my first season. Uh, shout, out, shout out to Sean Johnson, who, yeah, took me by the hand literally because I didn't know what was going on. Like, you know, you're, everyone's used to dancing in a nightclub, right? But, you know, if you've never followed other people doing the same thing, you know, it's kind of it, weird, it was right? Horrible. Like it was horrible. It was horrible. Again, I'm the palest guy on that entire stage. They stick you in the front and I don't even know what the moves are, right? So they're chucking you in. They're watching you. How are you going to react, right? Now, did the choreographer notice that you were a heck of a dancer and and did she approach you to go in the shows immediately? Oh, goodness, no. You Please tell me you're being sarcastic. No, I don't no, think no, they I know. I don't know. I don't know your dancing prowess. I mean, you're from Montreal. I figure you're okay. Oh, right? that doesn't matter, Greg. I, I am not a dancer at all whatsoever, zero. And I, and I, I did get, I mean, talk about this in, whenever you're ready, but I did get recruited to a couple of shows uh, for sure, but it wasn't because of dancing prowess. Which, uh, which shows were they? Do you remember? Well, I think at the end of the day, one of them, uh, I'll talk about this one first. So there was a show that I had to recruit husbands i don't remember the name of the show i think it was called the fireman show i'm not sure but they would then i would bring these these husbands on stage and we would just i'll make fun of them because that's not fair we would have fun together mainly at the white you know the for the wife's pleasure right <laughs> so they could film their husband the other one that i remember doing and i was lucky they didn't put me in too many shows and maybe that says a lot about my acting prowess was carmen and i did uh tell you about that one do you want me to tell you a bit about the carmen one yes please my pleasure. So I remember the, and I don't know her name, but whoever the choreographer was, she was the girl. As you know, in Carmen, there's this big puppet costume, right? Like there's a big costume and it's super tall. And she will go on my, my shoulders and then they'll cover us and I'll walk around the stage and she'll do her Carmen thing. But I, I got injured pretty bad and I'm pretty sure everybody was laughing because when I had her on my shoulders, she she was very strong like she had super strong legs and i couldn't keep my balance greg so i was kind of swaying left and swaying right and this is in front of everybody right the, the whole show and i almost pitched her off of my shoulders a few times and luckily i don't know how she caught herself and it was honestly it was embarrassing right at the end of it i felt terrible my neck was injured because i couldn't actually raise my neck from right to left like it was to the side for about three days because i had stretched all my neck muscles so badly but at the end the gms could not rave enough about how funny that show was. They thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened. They didn't. They thought it was on purpose. <laughs> so it ended up being interesting. Well, you also got, speaking of that injury, you also got hurt at archery, right? I think you had almost poked your eye out with a, well, an arrow in the target. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah definitely. That that was probably, honestly, <clears throat> sorry, Greg, one of, the, one of the scariest moments of my life. Uh, it, it was, I mean, this is well into me being an archery instructor. So it's not like I didn't know better. But after you shoot the arrows, you you tell your your you know the people you're teaching to put your your bows down and you start walking towards the target to pick out your arrows. So what I was doing is I was walking, but I was I was talking to the person next to me and not paying attention. So when I turned my face back towards the arrow sticking out of the target, my left the lower right corner of my left eye went right into the back of the arrow. At the time, I didn't know if it was my eye it got because my my eye swelled and there was blood all over like in my eye around my eye i didn't know it was horrible and that's the they ran and got the nurse the nurse came and i missed my the globe the eyeball i would say by two millimeters if it was just a slip more left i would have been blind in my left eye Ooh, geez 
That's uh, yeah. You wouldn't think uh, the injury would come that way, right? From archery, because this is the only sport where we give GMs weapons. So, but you wouldn't think uh, you wouldn't <laughs> exactly. think it would come from a stationary arrow in a target. Oh boy! And Greg, to this day, my wife, my my wife knows this about me. I'm very always worried about eyes. <laughs> if my son goes near to anything that'll that'll injure his eye, I still have PTSD from that incident 26 years ago. Well, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, and also it didn't really, I mean, I you say that you're more of an archery instructor rather than a good archer, but uh, but you did mention something about a sport demo where you had to hit a certain amount of targets, right? Would you mind telling this story? Yeah, th- this this was so funny. I, I was either a hero or a zero every, every week to start the week. Uh, and I'll explain because, and you know this, Greg, at the beginning of every week, we have to do it. The sports team has to do a sports demonstration around the pool for the uh, the new GMs that are coming for the week. So of course they would make archery the, the highlight, kind of the, you know, the the piece de resistance of, of the entire show being the last person to come out. You know, that you'd have the golfer chucking a, like, you know, just hitting a ball into a hoop in the water or the, the, the whatever the kayakers go around the pool. So it's like, they got it, no offense, pretty easy. I had to set up five balloons in the middle of the pool every week with some help, of course, attached. Then what would happen, Greg, is that half the, the to the music of Brian, <laughs> to, the, to the music of Brian Adams and the actual movie, right? Robin Hood. I would come out with my quiver on and everything. It's ridiculous. Then I'd have to demonstrate some archery moves without arrows, like just, just you know, doing the motions in front of all these people. And then the Robin Hood build-up music would begin. I would have five arrows to hit these five balloons in the middle of the pool. So every week I was nervous as heck because I knew if I screwed up, I'd be teaching people that, you know what I mean? They would look at me going, this guy can't even hit a balloon. So here's the thing. Half, half the time I would get the balloons within five arrows. I would hit them not killing anybody. But the other half, there would be times I didn't hit any balloons with with five arrows. And the best part of this is Godo, I knew my chief of sport would make fun of me if I missed, because what he would say in his wonderful Portuguese accent is, if I missed, if reach, if anybody wants to give reach a lesson, he will be at archery tomorrow at nine in the morning. This is what I got every time I missed, man. (laughs) It was it was horrible stress every week, <laughs> but I was a hero. If I nailed that thing in one arrow, I was a hero for the week. Anyways, <laughs> no pressure, right? Only the whole pool no. of four hundred people are watching you, right? With oh, the, it was the, so nerve-wracking. Sure the, the spotlight was on you, right? It was because it was the last one, right? It was the. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it was funny. Okay, well, yeah, I'd like to talk about. So, it sounds like you did a uh, fire and water show because you mentioned fire swords with Claude Gagnon. So. You know, let, let me tell you mine quickly because uh, my season in Columbus in '96 with Tim, also the you know fellow musclehead, I, I would do I would do I would do it at the pool. Never had an issue in a whole year of doing fire swords. Go to Playa Blanca, Claude's my partner, and one day the um, the wind, my arm started, uh, my left arm started feeling like it was on fire. The wind had shifted during the show, and I didn't want to be the punk guy to you know hold my arm in pain or run off. So I tried to muscle through it. Sure enough, I got first or second degree burns. Okay. And I thought I was doing fine, but playing basketball one day on the court, uh, we went up for the ball and GM came down, but he actually took the skin off, off my arm while coming down, you know? So, so, uh, so yeah, I'd like to hear your story about fire swords. (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, I don't think I can beat you on that one, to be honest. I mean, I mean, I got a, the, the. Yeah, there was a lot of fire there, and and then before I even tell you that story, there we also had to do the the where you put the flippers on and you're 
torching in the pool. But th this particular story, it's interesting. It was with clothes. So this is where life comes full circle, right? I'm a GM with this guy. And now I'm a, now I'm a geo a few months later with him doing a fire sword. So they chose Claude and I to do a sword battle with these with these swords lit on fire. And we're wearing these togas, right? So they did the, the show at we were the last part of the show, and I remember we're you know we're nailing it. We got this choreography down. We practiced it for like a week straight. It was pretty cool. I mean, we're there, and I have a very distant picture of me in it. But anyways, at the end of it, what happened is my toga started to slip. In other words, it started to come off, and there was nothing under that that toga. So this was desperate times. Thankfully, we're about probably 60, 70% into this uh into this sword show. And I and 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 Claude, I think, could tell something was wrong because <laughs> my my clothes started to literally come off in front. So basically, I turned towards the pool because he was supposed to to kill me at the end, right, by stabbing me in the stomach. So let's just say I did that a lot sooner. He stabbed me sooner so I can get into the pool and adjust myself. Because uh, back then, Gestapo uh, was a family village, correct? Uh, yeah, wouldn't have gone right? over well. Wouldn't have gone okay. over well. Yeah. With the families, no. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no. Yikes. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, you also yeah mentioned so yeah with the flippers. So that's if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that's when you actually swim with the torch and in, in one hand and you're going around the pool, correct? Like uh... yeah, you're in you're in behind. There's a, pretty much like there's so many people in the pool. We're all following each other, right? You got a person in front of you, you're following, and there's a there's a choreography and a sequence to how you're doing it. This this was also not as bad as the other one, but this tested every bit of my cardiovascular ability because what happened is about. I'd say 20% into the, the show, my left flipper fell off into the pool. So here, I, and it doesn't seem like a big deal that you have one flipper left, but I'm telling you that loss of flipper is epic. Like you, you got to keep yourself going. Like imagine a duck loses one leg, right? Like it's going to start swimming in a circle. So I had, I don't know how I made it to the end of that with not going on, without going underwater, to be honest, but I, I did. I thankfully made it. When did you arrive in Extapa, if I can ask? Sure. It would have been, a, I don't remember the exact date, but it was early May of 97. Okay. So the water wasn't, was it too cold then? Like when you go in at night or was it okay? The pool temperature? Oh, it, was actually, it was actually a bit chilly to be honest, but I didn't mind okay. considering I was so <laughs> hot. It didn't matter. Okay. And uh, I do like this animation story because we, we had a similar uh, story. So uh, do you, do you recall who the animator was or no? Bit, and I don't, hazy. that's, that's too distant. Okay. I don't think he stayed very long. Uh, what he was, was he was I don't remember because oh, he okay. he didn't stay very long and he was gone, but I was only with him for probably a week of the time. So he, he, was he asked there. you to do a, a prank, right? With uh, the prank oh, yeah. GMs. What was what was that? Was that about? Yeah, the one I remember him doing. And oh, I got in a bit of not in a bit of trouble. They, they some GMs were mad at me for this. Is they would set up a a table outside the uh, one of the one of the eating areas and I would be doing surveys. I would be asking people to stop and tell me about their experience at club med. And I had this little piece of paper pretending I was doing a survey while that was happening. He was under the table, putting liquid paper on people's toenails. And he, let me just tell you, he found the wrong woman once and took a piece out of me because they couldn't see him. They saw me. <laughs> so that skit ended abruptly. That wasn't done again after that. Yeah, can I ask why he chose uh, liquid paper instead of nail polish? Is it was liquid paper easier to remove? I think that's all he had. You'd have to ask him. I don't know where that guy is, but oh, okay. that, that did not go over well. Tutun shut that one down. He wasn't mad at me. I mean, he was just at the end of the day, it wasn't my skit. I was just helping. Yeah, you're, you're the guy under the table is safe, right? I mean, uh, oh, 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that was he was gone shortly after, and I don't know if that's why, but he, I didn't see him much anymore after. It's crazy how no one could actually feel something being put on their toenails, right? I mean, it's no, crazy. they didn't feel you a know, thing. You think you would, you would know, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it just it gives me heebie-jeebies thinking about it. Because I'm sure these ladies, you know, spent a lot of money getting their nails right, and he ruined right. it in under yeah, ten yeah. seconds, right? Oh man. Yeah, they yeah. just came from the spa in the village, and you know, spent a. Eighty dollars oh. US, and there you were, someone putting liquid paper all over them. Okay, Yikes. exactly. All right, you did have a celebrity or two, right? Like I believe in July, you hung out with Blair Underwood, right? Like he came with his uh, newborn son and wife. Yeah, this is such a cool story. I, you know, it was just so neat. It was so random. So I, someone had said Blair. I was a huge. Let me back up. I was a huge fan of LA Law, right? In the eighties, too. Yeah, he you played too, John, eh? Jonathan uh, Rollins. Yeah. Yes, Jonathan, so. and apparently they're rebooting that thing. I've heard. Oh, really? But anyway, yeah, that's it, that's what his Twitter said. Anyways, but I, it was just a neat experience. And don't forget, this is before iPhones and you know selfies and stuff. But so Blair Underwood was was there. We didn't, no one bugged the celebrities. You know, Greg, we we leave them alone. Like we're not getting in their way. But he was there with his wife at the time, Dizzy, and his uh, newborn son, and his uh, cousin Lynn. And what happened is he came to archery one day, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I, I you know I didn't want to bug him, but after it was over, I said, hey, no one was around. I just said, hey, Blair, I was a huge fan of yours. I just want to let you know, I'm not going to bug you, you know. But he sat down with me for about thirty to forty five minutes, and we just had the coolest talk. And it wasn't all about like like movies and stuff. Having said that, though, I did ask him, hey, have you filmed anything? And he had just finished filming Deep Impact. It hadn't been in the theaters yet, but that's kind of at the point where he was. And it's funny, at the end of uh, the trip, I got, a, I got a photo back. But the photo was from the cousin, Lynn, who basically said how, what a great experience she had. She wished she would have taken up archery sooner. And she said, Blair and Dizzy send their best on the back. And I just pulled it up the other day and I looked her up and she had passed away a year and a half ago, but they were very, he was, he was great. He was courteous and kind and, you know, just try not to bug him at, at that, after that point. But it's, was there some kind of a entertainment film crew there that filmed you guys or? This is weird. And this is one of those things where it's, it's like in the back of my mind. And I feel like entertainment tonight was there. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous. Right. But, and they had, I don't know because it never got onto TV, so I don't know what they end up using or not. Maybe they filmed it in another part, but they ended up coming to art to archery, Blair and I. And you know that the 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 song, da na 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 na. You know that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they made us him and I sing that, like just that. So from you know, this is Blair Underwood on vacation in Extapa, and and they made us do that silly little chant, and then they went off their own way. Because of no phones and stuff, I have no idea if that ever played or, or whatever happened came of it, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. So in it addition, was just bizarre. In addition to not being a good dancer, do you think it's because of your singing voice that it never no aired? Okay. No <laughs> doubt that I, it probably never aired. Or maybe they filmed him in another part of the resort and, you know, used that that bit. But I, okay. I'm pretty sure someone would have noticed me on there and told me later, right? So I'm guaranteed yeah. it didn't make it anywhere. Apparently, the week before you got there, you just missed Vlade Divac, right? From the, like, yeah. I guess he was with the Lakers at that point. I guess. He was with the Lakers, and I think he was there actually. Uh, yeah, like just not long before I was there, because that's the first thing I said. Hey, you guys, see any celebrities? Vlade, Vlade was the only one that uh, that they mentioned. Uh, it's too bad, you know. I did Columbus Isle for two and a half years. I missed Jennifer Lopez twice, not once, but twice. That's <laughs> crazy. Did you miss her by a lot, or or just? No, not not really. Like like you, a week or so, you know. Oh, like, that's like, too are bad. Are you kidding me? Be... You know, it's not fair. Wow, not fair. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So let's, um, I want to segue a little bit away from Club Med, but 
the story involves Clubmed to currently what you're doing, but it was, I think you said it was Blair the Nurse and Extapa that was mm-hmm. partly, partly inspiration for you doing what you do now. Are you able to talk about that? Oh, I love talking about that. Absolutely. And it's just so crazy that I am what I am today and I live where I live today. It's just, it's just crazy how in life, you know, the, the Forrest Gump little feather and it'll take you where it wants to go life sometimes. So at the time, as you know, in Club Med, you don't get a lot of days off. And I think I got like half a day off in the whole five months I was, I was in Extapa. But then I, I got to know Blair and I saw, I, first of all, I, I always wanted to be in the medical field, but I never really pursued it or went further with it. I thought that was just my lot in life and I wasn't going to do it. But I saw the Bl- Blair's kind of what he did and his lifestyle there was a bit different than mine. It was, and he was a really cool guy. So a really, really good guy to know. And it's funny. I just, after Club Med, I, you know, you forget, you kind of move on with your life and you forget these people, so, so to speak. But I was, I was doing a job. And there was, a, again, another article in a newspaper. It's like art- articles in newspapers are what guides my life. There was a, in Quebec, do do your nursing in two, do nursing in two years. And I went, well, I'm already not a spring chicken anymore at this stage of my life. And if I'm going to gear in a different direction, I need to do it in a, in a quick way. So sure enough, because this article, I thought of Blair and I meant, man, you know what? Let's do this. Life's too short. So I actually ended up doing my, my nursing, as you know, Greg, uh, CJEP. I did my nursing diploma in in Quebec, uh, in Montreal. It's John Abbott College that you know well, I'm sure. And I became an RN. And so talk about full circle, right? I'm looking at this guy going, I really, this is a cool job. Sure enough, this is what I do. And I graduated and I became a, at the time an emergency uh, room nurse at Lakeshore Hospital, which I know you know as well. And from there, I became, I did intensive care, coronary care, and then I moved to Alberta. I don't know if you want me to go too far ahead, but I, I moved well, then to well, Alberta. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, because you're currently in, in endoscopy, I, I recall. Yeah. So since I moved to Alberta, not to bore your, your viewers too much or listeners too much with, with my life here, but I ended up being, uh, when I moved to Alberta, an intensive care room nurse in Edmonton. And then I became a unit manager of an emergency room. And since then, I've been a unit manager for the last 15 years of various different apartments. But I currently, I'm a unit manager of uh, an endoscopy unit in two different hospitals. So like, I run two different hospitals. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's amazing how my life has come full circle. And I still think about Blair to this day. Like, it's been, and he doesn't know that. He doesn't even probably remember who I am. Like if he listens to this, it'd be so cool to him to reach out to me to tell him that. You remember his last name? No, it's it's very it's it's shocking. I even remember his first, to be honest, because so many names are vague to me. I don't know. Well, yeah, his usually... picture, his picture. I did send his picture to you, and okay. in one of the pictures, he's the guy to the left in glasses with slightly longer hair. In one of them, is he blonde? Blonde? Yeah, or... I believe okay. it's blonde. Yeah, you'll okay. you'll see. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you'll. You'll tell me which one, and then I'll put that when I post the photos uh, for your episode. I'll we'll put who he is. Fantastic, okay. but yeah, it's like kind of you. I remember you and him from Club Med the most, like as my the inspirational people, truthfully. So yeah, wow, that's a great story. Now, do you have an like? I I'd hate to let you go if I don't ask an ICU story because you know what we see on TV is not real life. But is there any like ICU story? I guess that you you know without without any names, of course, <laughs> like uh, that mm-hmm. you recall. Like is is there anyone that you're able to talk about or no? Uh, you know what? There, there are, ICU is such a hard place to work. And I, I've, I have so much respect for these nurses. And actually during the pandemic, even though I'm a unit manager, I was sent back to ICU because of my experience, because they had to kind of bring people from outside back into this department to help. It, it is what taught me to be a nurse the best. As far as specific stories, do you know what? I, I won't really speak to any of them because honestly, they're so 
they're so personal and so difficult. Uh, there's not really too many great ones other than the fact that some people do come out of really difficult situations, but there, it, it's just a really emotional, difficult place to work. And I, actually after a while, I did have to leave to, to venture elsewhere. So I don't have a specific story that I could really speak of. Oh, no problem. But you, you enjoy doing what you're currently doing, correct? I love what I'm doing. I, it's what I need to be doing. You know what? It, it gives pleasure to people. It's, it's given me a wonderful life. You know, because of this job, I've, I, I have my wife and my son, because if I hadn't done this, I wouldn't be in Alberta. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have, met, you know, there's so many reasons that I'm, I'm so proud to be a nurse, especially during this pandemic. We were really uh, put front and center as how important our work was. And I'm just, I'm extremely proud to do what I do. Okay. And uh, also, like, I think you had an, you had intentions to do a second season. I mean, you only did the one season. You had intentions to do second, but um, you had you had noticed something on your forearm, correct, before you left? Yeah, this and this is again where where my life could have gone in t- in two different forks in the road, right? Because I had received, I was you know going to do another village. I was going to go, I believe, to Punta Cana. But to back up, when I was at the end of my uh, my stay at Extapa, there was like a red bump growing on my left forearm, and I wasn't in the medical field, and I didn't really care. I just didn't look particularly nice, or so. What happened is when I got home, I got it excised, and. Of course, the doctor called me back and I, I didn't answer him for a few days because, you know, I was like, I was invincible. What do I care? You know, I didn't answer. When I finally answered, it turned out that it was malignant melanoma, which is the kind of skin cancer that kills you. It's not the the cute little one that you can, like squamous that you can just cut out and be okay. This is the one that spreads everywhere in your body and usually kills you. So at that moment, my life changed again. And I had to, unfortunately, because I had the ticket purely to arrive, my friend. I had to give that ticket back and call Club Med. I was done because even if I would have got better, being in the sun wasn't in the cards for me anymore. Okay, but everything turned out well. They caught it. Yes, all. yeah. Okay. So thankfully, they they did a big surgery and I have this big, big, huge scar on my left arm. They excised it all. It didn't spread anywhere, and uh, here I am, twenty six late years later, healthy as can be. All right, I like a happy ending. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Now, besides uh, like Godot, Tatun, and um, you know Blair, were there any? I don't want to leave anyone out, but I know when it was only your first season, and it was a long time ago. But is there anyone else that you you recall you want to mention, or these are you the know, these are the ones that you remember the most? Yeah, and and again, it, it's funny. Like your your podcast, which is amazing, by the way, I absolutely love it. It is called First Season, but it should be for me called First and Only Season, right? Because it, it's it's one of those things where it's this blip in in my history, and, and it. It's such a huge impact on my life. In terms of people, other than the ones I've mentioned, the ones my my roommate uh, Metsu was was absolutely amazing. I couldn't have been with a better roommate. He was uh, part of the sailing team, right? So him and I, if you know Extapa, archery and sailing are literally kitty corner to to each other. He was my roommate. He was wonderful. He was you know we respected each other's space and privacy because as you know in those dorm rooms they are so small. You, you can literally reach across to the next bed. And that's how close he was. But he was just a super guy, really handsome, handsome dude from Montreal. And I just actually, it's funny, I just reached out to him recently because I told him that I'd be doing this to please listen. And uh, his, his, uh, he's doing great. He was in Portugal for a while. Now he's back in Quebec and his kid is going to medical school. So it's just amazing how everyone's evolving after all these years. I'm so happy he's doing well. Okay, great. And uh, what are the, th- I'm sure you've had time to think about this, especially during winter in Alberta, but what are the uh, three things you miss the most about Club Ed? I think I miss, you know, it's going to sound, you know, I guess my first answer is the climate, Greg. I, I like you and you say this in so many of your podcasts, it just, 
I hate winter. I feel like it's a six month waste of my life because I'm not outside. I don't want to be outside. But you know what, Greg, when I got up every morning, I would, I would, you know, I'm an early bird, kind of like you are. The sun would be rising along that ocean as I'm walking towards my job. And I'm going, man, I, I'm where I need to be. The climate, the weather was number one. The second thing is just the teamwork and collaboration. Again, in that short period of time, if you're not if you're not a good teammate, then you're not, you're, you're failing there. So the teamwork, the collaboration was wonderful. And really, those are the two main things, Greg, like, and, and it's just, it's a time in my life that I, I speak so fondly of that. I, I almost wish I can go back and do one more time. You know what I mean? It'll never happen, but yeah. So I'll stick, stick with those two. Those are my two favorite. Okay. And despite getting used to crazy signs, did you wind up liking any during that your your first season did any like stick in your your brain like an earworm that you liked or no <laughs> you know what no that's, that's a good question and greg i absolutely love crazy signs i'm one of these weirdos that absolutely love doing this uh after, it would be after supper so you'd burn off some of your your food too the the only one other one i really remember well and greg please correct me if i'm wrong cotton eye joe was that one of them oh yes yeah yeah the bane yeah. of my existence yes the, oh really joe. you didn't like well, it? well they usually did that at, at the most humid part of the summer uh, during elegant night, you know, on a Friday night, <laughs> you had a cotton eye Joe and sweat through your suit, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, that, that, and like the bun franquette are always used at the most to be inappropriate bun times Frank because Kett. it always happened during elegant night and, you know, there's no dry cleaning anywhere. So why, why am I even putting clothes on if we're going to do the bun franquette for 10 minutes? You know what I mean? That or, is so or, True. Or Cotton Eye Joe, right? But Cotton Eye Joe was one of those ones that gets the blood pumping, correct? It, it did. And did you guys, just just a sidebar, did you guys ever do the black and white night? You know what I mean? That's the the theme evening. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We did the red and black, the white and black. Oh, yeah. You did, eh? The black, oh, yeah. though. What were they thinking? I would sweat through the, the black. But you know what? After a while, Greg, you stopped sweating. Did you notice? Like, your body just adjusts. After, like, a few weeks, I had lost, when I when I got there, I remember, Greg, because in that, that photo with me and you, I was, I was heavy. I was probably 220 pounds. I left Club Med in five months at 190. I lost 30 pounds. And a lot of those 30 pounds went the first six to eight weeks. Oh yeah. It's just, it's just the act of doing the job just you oh, know, slims off. you down. Right. I mean, no. you don't even really have to go on the Stairmaster or treadmill at all. No. And that's probably the third thing I love the most about the job that I didn't mention is that I just love the act, the physical activity. Like even after my shift, I would go and play basketball for an hour, hour and a half. Like it just filled my bucket uh, from the, from that point of view too. And when you arrived, I forgot to ask you this at the beginning, but I'm because you had been to Playa, I guess, and they sent you to Ixtapa, I guess you didn't have any culture shock when you arrived. Like, um, I don't think there was too many men running around in Speedos in Ixtapa, correct? I'm talking about this, <laughs> no. this kind of culture shock. No? Okay. No, there wasn't. And, uh, you know, like you said, because I was in Playa, there was absolutely no culture shock other, other than, of course, everyone was speaking Spanish around me, for sure, and the, the heat. The heat, those were the two main, but you know what, Greg, you're surrounded by, by also fellow Canadians and, you know, it's such an amazing mix of, of cultures. And that's the other thing I actually really loved about that place. You learned about people from all over the world. And the fact that I could speak French and, and sort of Spanish really helped engage the people I was, you know, teaching and hanging out with. It, it was really cool. Okay. Oh, I think I might've forgot to ask you a question about your first season. Now, I believe you had a, uh, a, you organized a mini triathlon in the, in the resort, correct? Actually, it wasn't, it was the chief of village that organized it. And oh, it, okay. we took part, we took part in it. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me about a certain, I guess, incident? <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is, this is one of those things where it's a fib. I actually hung on to until this moment. 
<laughs> so okay. this, as you know, this triathlon is usually you have to run down, and this is in 35 degrees. Just keep this in mind when you're listening to this story. So I had to, you run down the beach relatively far. I don't know, probably, you know, six, 700 meters, which doesn't seem like a lot until it's 35 degrees. Anyways, you get in a kayak and then you got to go out about a kilometer into the ocean and then come back. So you're doing that. And then you go into the pool. So you run from the beach to the pool and then you go, I, I don't know if it's like 10 or 15 laps back and forth, back and forth. And that's it. By the, by the end of the kayak, by the time I'd hit the pool, I was so far ahead of everybody that I could have probably easily won this thing. But swimming was the poorest thing I do. So by the time I got to maybe like, I don't know, lap, I'd say three or four of the 10 or 15 I had to do, I hit the wall. And I could barely even stay in the water to the point where I, I could have drowned. It was that bad. I was doing okay. the side swim. Can I just ask a question? Yeah, please. But, but when you say hit the wall, you don't mean physically. You mean like you no. hit the wall uh, physically that you couldn't go on anymore? Is that what you... That's the wall I hit. I, I okay. had nothing left to give because uh, I went out okay. so hard. I went out so hard, so fast that I was like, I'm just going to bury everybody. By the time I got in the pool, lap three, I couldn't do it anymore. And I don't know how I finished, but it's funny. By about lap five, this probably 14-year-old kid <laughs> caught up and beat me. And I finished the race and I was still in second, even, even after that kid. And the funny thing is mother came up to me after, and I could, again, I need, I probably needed IV and IV infusion. I was so, I was so unwell, actually physically, I puked actually way after the fact, the mother came up to me and thanked me for letting her son win the race. And I, was, I actually went with it, Greg. I actually said, no, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. I wanted him to have that experience as I'm dying in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, for all you know, this kid probably turned out to be an Olympic uh, medal winning swimmer, right? For all we know. I'll never correct? know. I'll never know, but I hope but, he but did. it's possible because <laughs> I had a similar uh, Olympic swimmer uh, situation in Playa. I mean, it could have been the same week you were there. You know how we do the Olympic day and then we do the swim race and that nice pool oh, yeah, that yeah. Playa has. Yeah. I get my team. There's a man and a woman kicking everyone's butt. I mean, by lengths, lengths ahead of everyone during the swim race, no matter what stroke I said, like, so I actually thought the GMs were letting them win. I said, this is impossible. Like no one can swim that fast. After the, the swim race, everyone goes to lunch. I ask him, what do you guys do? She goes, oh, I'm, I'm Summer Saunders. Okay. Oh, Summer the Olympic, Saunders. The Olympic wow. winning gold medalist in swimming. And this oh, is my, my husband. Uh, he just swam in Atlanta. So I'm like, oh, okay. wow. That, that <laughs> explains why you were miles ahead of everyone else in the swim oh, race. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> sure if we found the name of that kid, I bet you anything. Okay. Could have been Michael. What's I lifted his spirit for that one moment in time. There you go. <laughs> could have been, <laughs> could have awesome. been Mike. What, what's Michael's name? That, that Phelps. Okay. Yes, could have been him. You know, I, I don't know. At ninety-seven, what have you been? Fourteen? I don't know. The well, kid. We're going to find know. out. Let's, we're going to get the listeners in on this, Rich. Okay, <laughs> I couldn't out. see straight at the end. I couldn't tell you anyway. This, this would be the perfect end of this story if that was Michael. Phelps. I agree. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Well, all right, Rich. Now, have I forgotten to ask you anything? Is there something else you wanted to say? Because you've been so kind with your time, I don't want to let you go unless you know we got everything. Do you think we got it all? I think we did. I just want to say that that five months little blip of time in my very old life now just just shaped so many things in my life and I, i'm so grateful for it and if anyone listening out there has kids let them do it you only live once and and the memories you'll have last a lifetime okay so you would you would recommend it for someone if they were like on the fence about it should i try it should i do it should i take the time absolutely 100 percent, yes 
Well, there you go, everyone. Well, Rich, really, uh, thanks again from the bottom of my heart for reaching out to me uh, like you did, because uh, it was so cool of you to do that and share, share your photos from such a special time and place uh, during my life and everyone who worked there that season. So that was really, really kind of you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for doing this podcast. It is so appreciated by so many. Thank you, Greg. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Well, everyone, that was Rich Reichman from Montreal, now living in Alberta, and we will see you next week. Say bye, Rich. Bye, everyone.